conversation. I, I think I am stumped by this community time question. I decided that what I would like to know is who I can be friends with that is in the Guinness Book of World Records. So if that is you, please make yourself known. Shoot. <laughs> well, if any of you, even if you're just attempting, I want to know. Okay, so come let me know. That's where I'm at with that. Uh, hey, my name is Stephanie. I'm the lead pastor here at Mill City. Special welcome to any of you, again, who is joining for one of the first few times. We really are glad that you're here. Uh, we'd love a chance to get to know you. Please come to the table and let us know who you are. And please come talk with me if you're thinking about the next step of covenant membership. We'd love to have those conversations with you. Um, if you have been with us, then you know since the beginning of 2022, we have been in the book of Matthew. We are going through it. And, and Easter came, and it was awesome. And then we're just going to, this last month of May, we're going to dig into the parables of Jesus before we move on from Matthew, okay? And so I'm so excited about that, and I'm really just shocked that it's already May. Is anyone else just shocked that it's already May? How did that happen? Um, thank you for that strong hand, Kelsey. Kelsey's like, I'm shocked. And I can't believe that two weeks ago, it was Easter and Holy Week, and we, it feels like it just happened. Um, I, we did something we'd never done before in the history of all the Mill City Easters, and that's the, the golden egg hunt. Who tried to look for the golden egg? I know a few of you did. Okay, there you are. Now, there were some reasons that everybody didn't get to look for the golden egg, and I'll tell you why in a second. But this was, this was just, it, honestly, I went to Walgreens and bought this egg because I was like, we're just going to do something fun. And if you found it, then you won ice cream for the summer at Fletcher's Ice Cream, or you won, um, or in addition to that, you won a gift card to Curiosity, the, the, the home goods and gift store that some of our covenant members here at Mill City, Jenny and Drew, own here in Northeast. This is an awesome gift, right? And so I, I gave out the first clue, and it was way too vague. It basically meant look by any bridge in Northeast Minneapolis, which there's at least 40, I think. So uh, the Kai Hai family went to like 40 bridges. Eventually, they finally found it. Um, but there was still a whole week till Easter, so I decided to go to Walgreens again and get another golden egg and have a second golden egg hunt. And Jesse Thornton found it because I think the second clue was too easy, okay? So I need help next year because the first clue was way too hard. The second clue was way too easy. A bunch of people showed up, but Jesse got there first. Now, Jesse professionally is a city planner for the city of Minneapolis. So we're having the referees review that play. Because we're not totally sure if they're, how, that might not have been fair. So we'll work on that. And I, you know, I just wanted to do something fun. You might say like, well, why would, why would you hide a golden egg for Easter? Does Pastor Steph not know how to take Holy Week seriously? I do. But I just felt like you all needed a little bit more fun, to be honest with you. Like people just needed to have a little bit more fun. And I know that it's hard right now. And I, and I noticed something about all of us. And that is we seem to blame the weather. Yes, who has, who has noticed this and had this experience? Um, I know, you're, be honest. I asked somebody how they were doing the other day, and they said, meh. And I was like, that's not an emotion, you know? But I get it. Like, I get it. And, and people, I'm talking with people, and I'm like, how are you doing? And they're like, blah. And I do, I do think that the weather is part of it. Some of you blame me because you know that I am snow positive. I love snow. Might have taken it a little too far this year. I understand. I'm not cold in May positive. Like, I'm not positive about this. So I felt bad, and I got you an egg to feel better. <laughs> and some of you are like, but we didn't win. I've got something for you. You can go to Fletcher's Ice Cream today. I'm serious. You tell them, Pastor Steph's paying, and you can have a cone. 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 I know. I know. Jason, Jason Fletcher is there waiting for you because we can't have everybody feeling meh and blah. 
Like, we can't do that, okay? And I get it. And, and, and I just want, I feel like maybe ice cream can help. But I also know that ice cream doesn't fix everything. I'm sorry, sir. Did you just find that out? Ice cream can't fix all the things. I know, amen, it helps, but it doesn't fix all the things. And so what I've noticed is that some of the things that we're facing and listening to your stories, it's deeper than some ice cream is going to fix. might help, but it's not going to fix. And the reality is that we are in a season where so many people are feeling discouraged and unmotivated, are feeling just blah and meh and maybe even something worse. And if you're not somebody who feels that way today, trust me, someone close to you in your life does. Because that's the, the world that we've been living in. That's what we've been facing. Psychologists have been coming up with new phrases to help us talk about what we're feeling. For instance, there's this phrase that's become helpful, I think, called ambiguous grief. Ambiguous grief, when there's been a season of losses that are so strange and hard to name. And so this ambiguous grief weighs heavy on a lot of people. I remember uh, last year, there was this article that went viral with the New York Times by a psychologist named Adam Weber, and, or Adam Grant, and this is what he said. Look at this picture. He said, there's a name for the blah that you're feeling. It's called languishing. And then he said, the neglected middle child of mental health that dulls your motivation and focus. So when people are making that go viral, like something's going on, right? Like that's what people are feeling. They're posting that like maybe you or someone you know or me, we're, we're languishing, we're, we're feeling meh. And if it's not you, it's someone that you know that are experiencing this. And I think this brings up kind of an important tension for us as Jesus followers. Because we follow Jesus, whose story we've been reading here, who tells us that he came so that we could have life to the full in John 10.10. 10. And I think that life to the full means a life full of meaning and purpose, and that doesn't sound like meh right? And we follow Jesus who tells us that he is going to give us his joy and make our joy complete in us. And sometimes this joy is not something we're experiencing. So how do we reconcile a God who tells us that we are invited into a life of meaning and purpose and joy with meh and blah and suffering and languishing? How do we reconcile being people who follow a Jesus who is inviting us into all of these things, yet we feel the tension? How do we hold the tension between feeling busy and blah and an invitation from Jesus to live a life that's fruitful and full? This is a tension I hope we can hold today. And I think it's an important one. And I think in Matthew, as we've been looking, this overarching theme that Matthew is sharing helps us wrestle with this tension. I really believe that it does. Because as we've been looking together at the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is offering this completely alternative perspective Jesus is inviting us to a completely different way of understanding the world around us, and he calls it the kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And this is the overarching theme that we see here in Matthew. It's the first thing that Jesus preaches when he's starting his public ministry. It says in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Those are synonyms. So, so let me unpack that mighty statement and just really quickly. Repent, turn towards God. Look at what God's doing. Move towards that. Respond to God. Why? Because God's reign is near. The reign of God, of King Jesus, is becoming a reality in our midst. And as we've engaged with Matthew's gospel, we've been unpacking this pretty deep theme. I think you'd notice it's a deep theme. So look at this slide, just like a summary. The kingdom is the reign of God breaking into the world. I often say into our everyday lives, we live in a world of a lot of little kingdoms. And they're not all bad, but we live in these little kingdoms, and the kingdom of God is breaking into the little kingdoms of this world. And compared to the little kingdoms, the kingdom of God is the great reversal. 
Dr. Janine Brown in her commentary of Matthew says that the, the great reversal is what the kingdom of God is all about. The great reversal of values, of status, of situation. Where the lost are found. Where the first shall be last. Where the captives are set free. Where the ashamed are forgiven. Where the sick are healed. Where the weak are made strong. Where the people who are poor in spirit are called blessed by Jesus. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom because the reign of God is near. But we are in this time that scholars call the already but not yet time of the kingdom. And we keep bringing this up because this is important. It's like the kingdom is near, like Jesus said, yet it's not fully here yet. When Jesus returns to bring all things new and all the wrongs will be made right, it's not fully here yet. And so in the already but the not yet, we experience languishing. And we experience blah and boredom and sometimes deeper things like sorrow and suffering, of course. But in the midst of that, there is meaning and joy to be found when the kingdom breaks in, if we're able to perceive it. And that if is a big if today, if we're able to perceive it. So here's what I hope that we can take with us from this text today. We'll put it on the screen. Glimpses of the kingdom of God help us find meaning and joy in the mundane and gloomy seasons of life. Glimpses of the kingdom of God breaking into our everyday life help us find meaning and joy in the mundane and gloomy seasons of life, whether that's you or someone sitting near you. And I think Jesus knew that this concept of the kingdom was a little bit hard to get our heads around. And I think that's why the gift of these parables are given to us here in Matthew. The parables are helping describe what the kingdom of God is like because it's, it's a really beautiful yet a little bit complex concept. And so Jesus offers these stories for us. In chapter 13 of Matthew, if you have a Bible, you see the beginning of these parables. There's some throughout the rest of the book. And scholars call this chapter the parable's discourse. The parable's discourse. And many of them start with the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and I'm going to look at two of these parables today, and they're really quick, so stick with me here. In Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46, you'll see these two parables that Jesus intends to go together hand in hand. All right, so we're looking at Matthew 13, verse 44. We'll put it up on the screen too. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Short and sweet stories, right? Not all the parables are that short, but Jesus tells these two parables. A man finds a treasure, a man finds a precious pearl, and both sell everything in order to possess what they seek. Both, both sell everything to trade in, to trade up, to get what they seek. Now, parables are a little bit notorious for being hard to interpret, so here's just two tips, okay? Here's two tips for you. The first is just to remember that parables are a metaphor or a comparison, all right? And so the best thing we can do when you read a parable is to say, what is the central comparison that's happening here? And be careful not to say that every little detail is part of the metaphor um, down to the little tiny details because oftentimes Jesus is just being a good storyteller and just adding to it. So really the best thing to do is to look for the one or two central metaphors that are being compared here. Secondly, you have to pay attention to all three audiences. What do I mean by all three audiences? Well, Jesus spoke this, these words and told this parable IRL in real life. To some people at some point, all right? That's the first audience, the people that heard Jesus say this with his own mouth. The second audience are the people that heard or read what Matthew wrote down. 
And, and they are the people who then are taking that in a different way in their context. And then finally, the third audience is us. The people today who are saying, okay, there was an audience that heard Jesus' words, a group of people that first read Matthew, and now here we are taking, Matthew's, taking Jesus' words through Matthew's lens and saying, what does this mean for us? Those are the three audiences. So pay attention to those whenever you're looking at a parable. So in this parable, these two parables, what is the comparison? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. What do both a tre the treasure and the pearl have in common? Well, I see three things. They're hidden, then they're found, and they are extremely valuable. The, the, the pearl and the treasure are hidden, then they are found, and they are extremely valuable. That's very clear in both stories, isn't it? The kingdom of God is like the treasure and the pearl. So we could then interpret for the three audiences that this comparison, the kingdom is hidden, not always obvious right away, but the kingdom can be found. And finally, the kingdom is extremely valuable. The comparison, do you see that there? The kingdom is hidden, it's not always obvious, but it can be found and it is extremely valuable. So who are the audiences? Well, the first audience, the people who Jesus heard was speaking to and they heard Jesus IRL in real life, that was the disciples. If you look just a few verses earlier, I think it's in verse 36, you'll see that, that Jesus was talking to the crowds and telling some stories, and then he went inside, and the, and the disciples, his close followers, came with him. Um, and that could mean more than just the 12, but it's just his, specifically his followers. And I think what Jesus was trying to help them see here is that the kingdom is not going to be obvious to everyone, maybe not everyone who he had just been talking to in the crowds. Not everybody's going to notice it. Not everyone's going to even look for it. And this was going to be important for Jesus' disciples because they were going to watch people come for healing and watch a healing happen and then just walk away in disbelief. They were going to watch the same people who watched Jesus provide healings and miracles and set people free and provide for hundreds and thousands of people who needed food. He, they were going to watch him do that and these were going to be the same people that ended up taking his life. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, not everyone's going to see the kingdom, not everyone's going to look for it, but make no mistake, it's extremely valuable. So Matthew's second audience, the audience of Matthew, we know that there was lots of people in the first century that read Matthew's words written down or heard people read them out loud, um, but it, he was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, to the group of people who had followed Yahweh God since the beginning of the, the story of God that we see in the Torah and the Hebrew text. We see the story of these people who had been faithfully trying to follow God to the best of their ability and definitely not perfectly. And here Jesus is saying to them through Matthew, God is doing something new. It's not that Yahweh God has changed. It's that same God is doing something new and bringing Jesus, the Messiah, and the reign of the kingdom of God in your midst. And if you look for it, you're going to see and experience things better than you have even before. God is doing something more. There's something wonderful. Jesus' kingdom is so wonderful, it's worth giving everything for. And some of Matthew's original audience did just that. They sacrificed their very lives to seek the kingdom of God, the way that Jesus encouraged them and the way that Matthew wrote down. And so then finally, here we are. We're the third audience of, of, of importance here today. And that is, uh, what is he, what, what is this meaning of what Jesus said, what Matthew wrote down? What does that mean for us today? And I think it's those same three things. The kingdom is hidden. It's not always obvious. The kingdom can be found if we're intentional. And the kingdom is extremely valuable. And we have to say, what does that mean for us? It's like the ultimate egg hunt, except it's even better than ice cream. Someone's still doubting the better than ice cream thing, but, you know, praise the Lord, it's better than ice cream, believe it. 
If it's something worth seeking, glimpses of the kingdom of God help us find meaning and joy in the mundane and gloomy seasons of life. When we're experiencing the mundane and gloomy seasons, the glimpses of seeking the kingdom and finding it help us find that meaning and joy in the midst of our everyday life. I was talking to my husband, J.D., this week, as I often do about the sermon, and I told him what parables we were doing. And it was cool. He said, you know what? Those parables actually meant a ton to me at a certain season of my life. And I asked him a little bit more about that. And he went on to say that there was a season of his life where he just felt really like little passion about his faith, where he was just feeling like kind of meh, right? Kind of blah when he thought about his faith. And he felt kind of convicted of that. What is that about? And he said he read this story and he thought about this treasure and he thought like almost like metaphorically, like he's looking at the treasure in his hands that's supposed to be the kingdom of God and his faith and his, his pursuit of what God's doing, seeking the kingdom. And he said that he was looking at that and it just kind of hit him that what he was looking at didn't really feel that valuable to him at that time. You know, like he was thinking, it, it felt like I looked down and I wouldn't trade much of anything for this, much less everything for this. I don't feel like I go away with great joy like the person in the parable because of what I've experienced. And he looked at that and he thought, this is like a watershed moment in my life. And I heard him tell that story and I thought about moments in my life where I thought about my faith and my pursuit of Jesus and the kingdom of God and thought, meh. And maybe you've been there too. Maybe that's where you are right now. This idea of like, if this is the treasure, if this is it, then I don't know if it's worth giving my all for this. And back then, J.D. realized that maybe he really hadn't found the treasure. Maybe what he was holding looked like a pearl, but it wasn't actually it. And so it sent him on this pursuit where he was just kind of propelled in the season to seek the kingdom in new ways and to figure out new ways to experience what God was doing around him. Kind of, he said that it felt like he experienced scripture in different ways and he thought about different things about how he could join in what God was doing in these different ways. He felt like there was ideas that were opening up his mind about how, yes, it's about forgiveness and salvation and relationship with Jesus, but also about action. And yes, it's about being people who live in free and forgiven and experience God's just absolute love, but also joining in what God is doing to give love to other people in the world and join in injustice. And it's like he knew that, but it was real to him in a new way in this season. It was one of those great kingdom reversal moments in his life. The treasure isn't something that we get to fully unlock and experience in this life. We can find it, but when we find it, what we recognize is that already but not yet reality, don't we? Where the treasure is there, it gives us great joy, but we know it's not the whole thing yet. We know we're still in the already but not yet part. But the man in the parable, the man in the parable has great joy when he gets a glimpse of it. And J.D. began to experience joy when his passion for joining God was ignited in a new way. That's what I mean when I say glimpses of the kingdom of God help us find meaning and joy in the mundane and the gloomy seasons of life. So here's what I think this parable and J.D.'s story, like what, what can it mean for us today? If these three things are true, what does it mean? First, if the kingdom of God is hidden and not always obvious, then that means that we have to be intentional to look for it. We're not always just going to find it by accident. I mean, sometimes, but you got to be intentional to look for it. Uh, At the winter getaway, we have a winter retreat where everyone's invited to go up north. And one of our staff members, Micah, he works in media and youth, he was sharing about a really difficult season in his life. And he shared something so powerful. He said his life at that time felt like it was a game of I spy. Now, who's played that game when they were a kid? who's played that with their kids. Okay, so it's very simple. You say, like, I spy something orange, and then you have to guess what it is, or I spy a tree, and which one is it? The whole idea of looking intentionally for something. And Micah said that when he was in the most difficult season of his life, he 
felt like he was doing I spy not to look for what was happy or good, but to look for what God was doing in the midst of the suffering he was facing. He was in this season of life where he's like, I, I know I want to look for what's happy around me and block out the things, but it was not the kind of situation in his life where he even could do that. And so he was saying, I spy with my little eye what God is doing as I lay in this hospital bed. I spy with my little eye what God is doing in my family as we go through something together. This was what he was experiencing. It wasn't about rose-colored glasses or ignoring the world around and trying to just block it out. Often we have to look right into the center of the chaos and the struggle and the suffering because that's where Jesus often is. And that's where the kingdom can be found. I love that idea of the, of the I spy what God is doing in my life. The kingdom of God is not always obvious, so it's going to take intentionality to seek the kingdom. So then the second thing is, if the kingdom of God is something that can be found, then it's worth it to look for it. It's worth the energy, the intentionality, sometimes the frustration when we don't find it. It's worth looking for it, just like looking for the silly egg, and you're like, oh man, Steph gave a terrible clue. Like, if I got better at the clues, it would be even better, but there is something to find. It's there. I love that uh, Steph Kaihai showed me these pictures of how they were sending Trevor, dad, out of the car to look at all these, like, 35 bridges. And so here's the story, the picture she sent me of Trevor looking at all these bridges because the clue was so bad. And so he's looking everywhere. And, um, of course, you can see the joy on little Lucy's face when she actually found the egg, but it took a few more clues. Um, but what I found out later was that they were right there. Like, the egg was right beneath them when, when Trevor was on this one up here on the left. Like, he was right by it. But he didn't know it was right beneath him. It was right under his nose as he looked at all these bridges. It was right there. And I feel like that's the reality, isn't it? The kingdom is worth looking for, but in seasons of blah and languishing, let's be honest, it's sometimes tough and harder to seek, and we don't always find it as easily. But take heart, because the kingdom can be found. And I believe it is often found right under our noses, right in our everyday spaces. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we have to go somewhere to find the kingdom, but it's right where we are. And when we seek the kingdom in our everyday spaces, it changes our reality. It changes how we experience where we work, where we learn, where we play, where we live. And when we seek the kingdom of God in those spaces, it changes things. When we seek the kingdom of God in our, our workplace or in our workplace relationships, it opens up right into our life this reality of a deeper meaning to the work that we have in our lives. Seeing our neighbors outside, when it finally gets warm, please, Jesus, when it finally gets warm and we see our neighbors outside, we have this new type of joy about wondering what might the kingdom be doing here on this block and how might there be something going on in this relationship when I think about what Jesus could do in this person's life. I'm seeking the kingdom on their behalf. When we look at all that we have and we truly recognize that this is all God's and we invite God to multiply it for the sake of the kingdom, we see things change around us. When we see the difference that we can make when it comes to justice in our communities, in the places we already find ourselves, we can be a part of what God's doing to make wrong things right. All of a sudden, when we do that, in the midst of the mundane and the gloomy, we see joy and meaning start to creep in. And we're going to need other people to do that with us. And we might even need a therapist, praise God for mine, to walk through some of that trauma Amen? We might just need that, and that's okay. So I'm not trying to minimize what we're experiencing. I'm not trying to downplay the struggle. I'm just saying that I see that it's out of Jesus' love for us and his desire for us to have full and meaningful lives that he invites us and compels us to seek first the kingdom. 
Because the kingdom can be found when we look intentionally. So then finally, if the kingdom of God is extremely valuable, then it's worth trading anything for. If the kingdom of God is extremely valuable, then it's worth trading anything for. When I was in high school, my youth group would play this game called Bigger and Better. Did anybody play that in their, in their youth group? So if you don't know what it is, I don't think it would work today, okay? So what it is is that you'd take an object that was small, and then you'd break up in groups, and you'd go down just like in your neighborhood. And you would go to the house with like a pen, and you would say, do you have something bigger or better than this that you could give us? And you give them the pen, and they might give you like a tennis racket with some of the strings busted out of it, okay? And then you go to the next house, et cetera, and you'd end up with a chair, and, and it gets bigger or better, Right? Now, I remember in my youth group experience that people would end up rolling like a half-working refrigerator back to the church or like a car that didn't really start, got pushed in neutral, much to the chagrin of my youth pastor. Um, so this, was, this game didn't always go exactly as it needed to go. But, but I remember the story when I think about this like hyperbolic statement that Jesus is making. Jesus uses hyperbole as a tool, okay? So be careful not to take it literally right away. I don't think that Jesus is saying here, sell everything so that you can, I don't think he's literally saying, Everyone must sell everything, and then maybe you'll find the kingdom. Clearly, the people are already finding it, and then they wonder how they can trade what they have for the kingdom. I think that Jesus is saying that the kingdom is the biggest and the best, and you could trade in anything, and the kingdom will always be better. The kingdom will always be better. Now, the thing is that's hard for us in this is we... We like our stuff. We like to hold on to what we have. It brings us security and sometimes, you know, happiness and different things. And that's not always bad. Now, because the bigger and better game, when we did that in high school, we very rarely left with something that was actually valuable at the end, okay? Why? Because no one was going to give something nice to a bunch of scraggly teenagers in the 90s. Like, why would you do that? They're not going to do with it what they should do. Anyway, I think about this, and I, I feel like it's hard for us to have a kingdom perspective on what is most valuable in life. I feel personally, like on a daily basis, it's hard for me to have a kingdom perspective on what truly is most valuable. Sometimes it's hard to believe that money and things are not the only or the most valuable capital in life. Like, it's, it's tempting for me to believe that. And I remember my friend, Pastor Mike Breen, explaining this years ago. He was talking about how in our lives we have a lot of capital. It's not just money. And he said, and I, I was so shocked, he's like, money is the least valuable capital that we have. And I was like, okay, Mike Breen, now you tell me what you're talking about, sir. And he's like, the most important capital we have in our life is spiritual capital. We have wisdom from God. We have power in the name of Jesus. The value of our spiritual life and our relationship with God is, is the most valuable capital that we have to engage with the world that God loves. Our connection to God and our, our salvation and our leadership found in, in Jesus, to be people who have access to the Holy Spirit and join in what God's doing in the world and to be able to not only, like we can receive the love and the forgiveness of God and not try to earn it all the time, and then that love is poured out onto the people around us. He's like, that's spiritual capital, and that is the most valuable capital in the world. I'm like, okay, I, I kind of see where you're going with this. And he said, that's the most important capital that we can grow in our lives. But then he went on. He said, you have to remember, we have other capital too not just financial and not just spiritual. You have relational capital, your friends, your family, your network. We know that's very valuable in this world. Our intellectual capital, sure, maybe that's like degrees people have gotten, but just your creativity, your intellect, your knowledge, your ability to think well. Our, our physical capital, like our energy and our time and how we use it. And yes, our financial capital, our dollars and cents, right? Our stuff, our, our paychecks. Mike says that this is an order of importance of the kingdom down to least importance. 
And and then just to sit with that for a minute, that the most important thing is spiritual capital and the least important of all the capital is financial capital. And I think this parable is saying that same thing. It's saying it's not that this doesn't matter or that it's not valuable, but that in the kingdom of God, the most valuable is spiritual capital and seeking the kingdom. And all the other capital matters, but if you trade that in for bigger and better, then the kingdom is the most important. When we make our physical capital available to God, our time, our energy, when our, we give our intellectual capital to God, our creativity, our, our ways of thinking well, when we give our relational capa- capa- like our capital to God and we say, I've got this community, but there's people who need community too. How am I going to welcome people into that? When we, yes, give our financial, financial capital, that's important too. But here's, here's what I think is key. I personally don't interpret this parable to mean that everyone is supposed to sell everything that they have. Once again, I think that's Jesus using hyperbole. But I do think what Jesus invites us to do is to make all that we have available to him and to his kingdom. All of the capital available to the kingdom of God. Because when we make our capital available to God, what we gain when we trade in that investment is worth more than everything and anything. It's the greatest return on our investment that we can ever have. In the story, it says, In his joy, the man went and sold all he had to buy that field and to buy that precious pearl in those stories, right? And I see our community living this out all the time. I see how you make time when you know you don't have very much of it to listen well to people in your life. I see how you are people who pursue the justice areas that you're passionate about in your everyday spaces. I see you invest in your relationships so you can grow deeper in community and deeper in relationship with God. I see how so many of you use your brilliant minds and creativity to invest in the work and the vocation that God has before you to the glory of God and the inherent value of the kingdom. I see that happening in your life. I see so many of you that are so generous with your finances. I mean, even in just the last six months, hundreds of thousands of dollars has been invested by this community and our network towards the ministry and missions of this church, towards many projects, some that that are behind the scenes, some that are really public, like our MB project, the $25,000, we hit that goal already. Like, this is incredible. All that we invest in that way goes towards living out this mission to love our community in the name of Jesus. There's been countless of hours given to love and serve people well. Some of you are even considering putting another small home in the backyard of of your lot where you live. This is what this this imbi in my backyard is all about. And I was thinking about this, like why are so many people considering this? It's because as Jesus followers, we know that yard is not just ours, right? It's God's. Everything we have is from God. And if God is leading us to make it available to him, then what would happen if we followed that lead? I don't actually think that everybody's supposed to put a tiny house in their yard. Don't get me wrong. But we can all have a posture of openness to God about all the capital that we have. Financial, physical, intellectual, relational. All of that capital we offer to God. And I would suggest that all of us are rich in one or more of these types of capital in our life. And any capital we make available to God will increase in kingdom value. Once again, the best return on your investment you can make. So even though it's not always obvious, the kingdom of God is near. It is able to be found, and it is worth trading anything for. And it's important because glimpses of the kingdom of God help us find meaning and joy in the mundane and gloomy seasons of our life. And we've all been there, and we'll all be there. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and I just want to leave you with a little bit of reflection as we go into our time of worship. I see that two questions come to the surface 
of these parables that we can take with us today. And the first one is, are you seeking the kingdom in your everyday spaces? And maybe there's a specific area of your life that God wants to bring to the surface. Maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's your neighborhood. Just an important question because as the parable shows, we have to be intentional to look for it. It's there. It can be found, but we have to be intentional. Are we seeking the kingdom in our everyday spaces? Or have we bought into this idea that you have to go someplace else to find the kingdom? Which is true, you can. It's everywhere. But right there where you live and work and learn and play. And then secondly, are you willing to make your capital available to Jesus? This is a hard one for so many of us. It's like a daily one, probably, for a lot of us to just release our grip, recognize that God has given us everything we have, and then open it back up to God and make it available to him, to, available to Jesus and his kingdom. Because even though I don't think we're all being asked to sell all that we have, I think we're all being invited to say, what would it look like to make our capital more available to God? And when you get a taste of what God does, when God multiplies our little offerings for the sake of the kingdom, it's like nothing else. And it's something that you never want to let go of, trust me. So I invite you to reflect on these questions as we go into our time of worship. And I want to leave you with this encouragement today. If you're someone who has experienced just a tough season, like many people have, we can't completely avoid the times in our life where we feel blah or meh or languishing or suffering. But I have experienced in my own life and in so many of your lives that seeking the kingdom helps us find the meaning that we are so deeply longing for in our lives. Because the kingdom is near. It can be found. And it is worth trading anything for. Amen.